Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 257 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by the former heavyweight world title challenger himself. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, my man. How are you? Very well, very well. I'm going to dive straight into the review part of the show here. We're going to start here uh, last Friday, September 11th, at the Kimki Basketball Center in Russia. Um, just one fight really to mention, the top of the bill. Fedor Chudinov, former world champion, 23-2 and two now, a win for him. Um, a 12th round TKO win against our very own Umar Sadiq. A very gutsy effort from Umar Sadiq. And, um, you know, he was winning on one of the cards. Um, it was a 12th round TKO. Like I say, it was Umar Sadiq's first 12-round contest. And he only had three weeks' notice. And it was, you know, it was an uphill battle from the beginning. He had to go to Russia for the fight. Um, um, a huge, huge step up in class. You know, he's, he's, he's obviously got a loss at kind of domestic level. And... Um, you know, to go to Russia, to go to the Lions Den and take on a guy like Chudinov, who is, you know, a good, good fighter, hasn't really had the easiest of careers, but a very good fighter, a top, top level fighter. And like I say, on one card, he was actually winning by five points, which is incredible for Umar Sadiq. The other two cards were very close, one point to Chudinov and three points to Chudinov. But like I say, the scorecards in the end weren't needed. A 12th round TKO win for Chudinov. Um, Umar Sadiq was taken to hospital after the fight. I think he's okay now, but all the best to him. I um, I mean, I picked Fedor Chudinov to knock him out, to be honest, but I didn't see it going 12 rounds. I, I really couldn't believe the performance that Sadiq put in. All credit to him. He's proved himself to be, you know, a very, very good fighter. He gives everyone trouble uh, domestically. I just want to see the big fights. You know, it was a step too far for him there, but perhaps if he gets another chance in the future, he'll be more than ready. Moving out now, though, to York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. This one took place on the Saturday. Um... Let's get to the undercard. A debut for Joshua Frankham. He made his pro debut with a points win against Kevin McCauley. Kevin McCauley, one of Britain's um, most famous journeymen, still going. 15 wins. He's got 208 losses and 12 draws. He lost every round to Joshua Frankham, who, by the way, is a cousin of Tyson Fury. He made his debut there. Um, also on that card, Mohamed Bilal Ali. He was 4-0. He shares the uh, the same trainer as Anthony Yard, obviously. Tunde Ajayi. They both train out of the Peacock Gym. Um, he actually lost a very, very big upset. He lost to a guy called Ed Harrison, who was only 1-4. and four. Um, Bilal Ali had a point deducted in the third round for holding. And Ed Harrison, you know, a journeyman, he just came and... 
you know, roughed up Mohamed Bilal Ali, and and rightfully so. Ed Harrison got the the points win over four rounds. Um, a good win for Echo Esserman. He's now fourteen and zero. A ten round unanimous decision for him against Cedric Paynaud. The Frenchman is now eight and eight with three draws. That one was for the vacant IBF European welterweight title. Also on the bill. Um, Mark Heffron, 25-1 and going in against Denzel Bentley, 13-0 and over 10 rounds. A, you know, very good fight. A lot of people felt that Denzel Bentley won. And I was one of the guys picking Mark Heffron, actually. I thought he'd probably be a bit too much for Denzel Bentley. But it seems like most people felt Bentley won the fight. Um, it was very, very close. Heffron was down in the second round, um by uh, by a left hand from from Denzel Bentley but yeah very close fight and the main event Anthony Yard with win number 20 he of course has that one loss at world level to uh, to Sergei Kovalev he got a brilliant win a TKO in 6 rounds against Dex Spellman who's now 16 and 5 Spellman was down once in that 6th round prior to the stoppage um, it was quite tactical from Anthony Yard. I'm not saying he's not usually tactical, but Spellman had Yard thinking in there at times, and I enjoyed seeing that. You know, Spellman did also land some nice shots on Anthony Yard, but nothing really seemed to bother Anthony Yard, who I think has kind of proved now that he has a really good chin, which a lot of people used to spread rumors about before the Kovalev fight. And, you know, he showed it in that fight as well. He can take some seriously big shots on the chin and walk straight through them. Um, I think Yard showed some great counter-punching ability on Saturday night. You have to kind of admit, even if you're a Yard hater, that for a guy who only had 12 amateur fights and now 20, um, well, 21 fights as a pro, um, you know, he's he's very naturally talented, it would seem. And brilliant body shots he landed in the fight as well. And I, I guess it was kind of the accumulative effect from the, from the clean shots that Yard landed, which forced... Uh, Dex Spellman down. He kind of took a knee. It was in between taking a voluntary knee and being knocked down. Somewhere in between there. He did get back up and the referee waved it off. Um, tad bit premature in my opinion on, on first viewing. I haven't seen it back. A lot of people are saying that no, it definitely was the right call. I didn't get that um, but I didn't even watch the replay at all. I, I saw it and completely turned the TV off. So uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. But it looked a bit premature in real time. Um, and yeah, just as Anthony Yard seemed to be getting going, it was a brilliant round as well, that final round, that sixth round. Um, so yeah, hopefully we get to see the Lyndon Arthur fight against Anthony Yard. Obviously, both men now have a common opponent in Dex Spellman, and um, Yard becomes the first man to stop the very game and tough Dex Spellman. All credit to him. Uh, moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. I've got to be honest, I didn't actually watch these fights here, so I'm just going to run through the results. Igis Kavalowskis, former um, former welterweight world title challenger, he knocked out in eight rounds Michael Zuski, who's now 34-2. and That fight was for the vacant WBC Continental America's welterweight title and the WBO NABO welterweight title. Zuski was down in the seventh and the eighth round. Um, Kavalowskis now 22-1 and with a draw he's talking about the Terence Crawford rematch I don't think many people want to see that and the bill was topped by the way uh, the bill was topped by 
Um, Miguel Mariaga, obviously former three-time world title challenger, I believe. He took on Joet Gonzalez, former world title challenger. He's got that one loss to Shakur Stevenson. And it ended up being a very dominant win for Joet Gonzalez. And I actually wasn't sure about that fight there. I thought it was quite a dangerous fight for him. But, you know, he showed... um, his class, I guess. It was for the vacant WBO International featherweight title. Um, yeah, Mariaga, he doesn't really lose to guys that aren't, you know, world level. And he's lost there to Joet Gonzalez in that manner, very wide. Um, that says a lot for me about Joet Gonzalez's potential future there. So very impressive in my eyes. And the final fight to mention of the review part of the show, it took place in Mexico. Uh, Former 154 world champion friend of mine, uh, Carlos Molina, he ended up taking on a guy by the name of... um, Oh, gosh. Forgot the guy's name now. But um, decent fighter. I think he had about a record of 23-1. and Um, It's not on box record or anything like that, but he managed to get the stoppage. I think it was after about five rounds, something like that. Um, So, yeah, good win for Carlos Molina there. Friend of the show, doing his thing in Mexico, promoting and fighting. That's it, though, for the review part of the show. I've gone through that as quick as possible. But just before we wrap up part one, it is, of course, time to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former British title challenger who will have his second chance at the British title in just under two months' time from now. It is, of course, Mr. Craig Spider-Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you. Always a pleasure having you on. So, Craig, we last spoke back in January. Obviously, it's been a it's been a wild year. At that time, you thought you would be boxing Shakan Pitters on March 28th in Coventry. Uh, not too long after the interview, obviously, you were forced out of the fight um, with, with an illness. Looking back now, it may have been Corona. Yeah, I think it definitely was. I was out for months, to be honest. Even when I recovered from the illness, um, I didn't fully recover from everything for a little while. But now I'm back 150% ready to go. Yeah, and like I say, once you were ruled out, you know, your last opponent who you drew with, Chad Sugden, he was given the opportunity to fight Shakan Pitters. Hennessy Sports wanted you to commentate on the fight, if I remember correctly. Um, the fight then, of course, fell through due to this widespread coronavirus pandemic. And by the time it was rescheduled, you were back to full fitness by then. But they still gave Sugden his opportunity. That fight finally took place August 22nd. Did you watch it? If so, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I watched a bit of it. I watched some of it. Um, uh, it was all right. It was uh, like more, I don't know, weren't really much to really say on it, really. Not really a lot happened, really, to really have an opinion on it. And nothing really surprised you, I don't think. It seemed to be, you know, the the kind of general consensus outcome is that Pitters would win on points. That's what I thought anyway. Um, it was kind of to be expected, Craig. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that was expected. You know, Chad won't really force the action unless you force it. Um, he's happy to sit back and probably lose on points if you don't really force the action with him. Pitters has happened to not really engage, just happened to just nick some points and see it out. Um He's a taller man. Uh, Chad uh, was sitting back to the taller man. It was just, yeah, it was just exactly what you'd probably expect, to be fair. And your opportunities finally arrived. I know it's been obviously a frustrating 2020 for you, but you get the chance here to end it on a high as a British champion. The fight date is November 14th. Um, Where's the fight taking place, Craig? Do we know just yet? 
not too sure. I'm going to probably guess like Coventry or something. Yeah. Yeah, I suspect so. And it's going to be on Channel 5, we know that, Terrestrial TV, a lot of exposure for you. Um, what should fans expect to see from you and Shikan on November 14th? It's obviously going to be a very different fight to, to you know, to your last outing. It's going to be a very different fight to his last outing. Mm-hmm, 100%. I think we're in for a tremendous fight. I'm going to bring it 150%. I'm guessing he's going to bring his 150% A game. And, you know, we're, we're in for a tremendous fight, but... You know, and then we'll see who ends on top. And we know that he's big for the weight. I'm just trying to rack my brains here and say he's tall for the weight. I'm just trying to rack my brains and say, have you ever had to give away weight in a fight before? I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, most fights I've given away Sorry, weight. Sorry, not weight, height. My when bad, height. 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 Sorry, Craig, height. height. Yeah, Jake Ball, I gave away height, didn't I? Did you? Yeah, Jake Black, 6'4", a bit taller. Yeah. I still don't know, what you, I still don't know how tall you are. Before. It's a secret. Ah, uh, I'm about six three. Mm, okay. But he was saying like, remember the Jake was saying the same thing. You've never boxed someone as big as me, tall as me, as strong as me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He said, remember the same thing about I've never come across someone the size of him. But I told him it doesn't matter. Like I've boxed and sparred a million people, a lot bigger than that. Cruisers, heavyweights, so heights and that don't really make a difference to me. And for fantasy reasons, how do you think? Being honest, Shakan Pitters would have got on with a six foot four Southpaw light heavyweight puncher like Jake Ball, by the way. That's an interesting one. Mm, if I'm honest, I think Jake could have probably stopped him. Mm. Jake's had a lot higher knockout ratio percentage. And I've seen and he can box, he can move as well. You saw he beat that guy, unbeaten kid, um eleven and Joe Sheriff, wasn't it, I think? Joe Sheriff, yeah, you saw how he boxed around um Marshin Quinn, um, who's boxed at high levels, British title level, etc. And you saw the way he's knocked out a lot of people, Jake. I remember when I first turned pro and he was turned pro around the same time and he was getting first round stoppages and second round stoppages all night long. Um, so, yeah, I think Jake really is underestimated as a fighter. He was, even going into my fight with him, I was the underdog in that. And the bookies all had him as a fan favourite, former GB opponent, former GB boy. Um, so he has a good amateur pedigree as well so we know he was a good operator but you know sometimes when if you make a fight look a certain way you won't get the credit because then they think oh he wasn't all that anyway Hmm. and I want to get your take on uh, another fight that took place the other week Uh, Dan Aziz managed to get a good win against your former opponent Andre Sterling Um, in my eyes quite impressive really to get the stoppage against Sterling who we know is a tough guy Uh, yeah it was right was on the wall from the first two rounds because of um, we know that Sterling can certain times he can blow up in his fitness and Aziz knows him very well, sparred very, many rounds with him, known him for many years and trains with him and they know he's a lot of Sterling's, 80% of his tactic is the holding aspect he works and he holds because he tries to spoil you and also get a recovery and he needs the recovery while he works and they knew that so obviously they probably had a word with the ref early on and um, and from when the referee warned him from the first and second round, took points away and told him no more holding, it was a foregone conclusion because we knew that when he gets tired, he would have nothing to recover with after that. 
And just and he just got really tired and couldn't recover from them. Yeah, yeah, no, a good a good win there for Aziz. Um, you know, hopefully a few good fights we'll see him in in the future. Um, coming down to the final real things here, uh, Craig. What's what's your prediction for your fight if you have one against Shakan? Um, I think I know what it is off off the podcast, but I don't know if you want to share it with the listeners. Yeah. Uh, say what you want, man. <laughs> it's gonna be a good fight. It's gonna be a win from me. And probably a stoppage, to be honest. Okay, exciting stuff, man. And just finally, before we wrap it up, Craig, if you've got any closing words, just to the listeners, you know, about anything, obviously, like I said, it's been a frustrating year. You know, you started the year, um, I guess, kind of wanting to capitalize on what you'd done in, in your last couple of fights before that. You get ill, you, you know, your opportunity kind of flew away. At one point, it looked like we weren't even going to get to see the fight. The fight is finally happening before the year's out. Um, hopefully, like I say, it's yeah. your chance to end it on a high. Oh, 100%. I've been saying to everyone from the off, this fight's going to happen. They maneuvered certain pieces of the puzzle and jigsaw. They had a good people in their team and on their side to kind of keep shifting me out of my position, but they probably thought I was going to end up getting frustrated and pushing on. And I heard interviews of them saying, ah, oh, he's probably going to push on. He's got a high world ranking, ranked number eight in the world and that in the WBA and that. He'll probably go down the world route. But as I told people, you know me, I don't duck or dodge any fights. Um, I, I, I go towards it head on. So I knew I'd, I'd wait patiently and I'll finally get the opportunity. And as soon as it arose, they knew I had a fight coming up. Um, I was meant to fight this month. And I think they threw the contract at me, hoping that it would derail me to not sign straight away, focusing on this fight, so they could push on and say, well, we gave him the offer and he didn't take it, and we've moved on. But I never fell for the trap. I took it and signed, and now we're here. Now we're here. And I wasn't going to ask you this, because I totally forgot, but it's just popped in my head now. Um, if we do get to see it, Anthony Yard, Lyndon Arthur, talk to me. Oh, that's a good fight. Very good fight. You know, Lyndon's a good boxer, GB guy, Yard strong can punch you capitalize on if there's an opportunity so it'll be a very interesting matchup okay we shall see how that one plays out but listen craig it's always a pleasure speaking with you my man best of luck for november 14th wherever it is and i'm hoping that the next time we speak i'm speaking to the new light heavyweight champion of britain jeez come on you know it is already <laughs> Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. There's quite a bit to go through here, um, so bear with me. It's going to take me a while to pull this up. Let's let's start with um, the fact that Lee McGregor, he takes on uh, Karim Gwerfi for the European Bantamweight title in a brilliant fight. That's going to be taking place in... November. I'm not quite sure that there's a date at the minute for that one, but that's a big step up there for McGregor. Uh, it's a good fight there. Um, MTK Global have signed on a on an advisory kind of uh, agreement with with uh, with last week's guest Jamel Herring. I believe he was on last week's show. Might have been the week before. I think it was last week. Yeah, I'm sure it was. So he he kept that quiet. He didn't tell me about that. He signed with MTK Global. Of course, MTK. You know, big, big company now in boxing, got the likes of Tyson Fury um, on their books and many, many others, including, of course, Carl Frampton. So it seems like that fight between Jamel Heron and Carl Frampton should be much easier to make now. I don't think there was anything really getting in the way of it before this, but um, it's also interesting for the likes of Archie Sharp, who's ranked number four with the WBO at Super Featherweight. You know, he's also with MTK, so you'd imagine he'll be in those conversations now um, in the offices 
Um, also, Arta Baturbiev against Adam Danes. It was announced, I think we announced it on last week's show. That one has been postponed. Um, Baturbiev has suffered a rib injury in training, so they're, they're hoping to get it on before the year is out, but no date, of course, just yet. Um, Cecilia Brackhouse has activated the rematch clause. She will be taking on Jessica McCaskill in a rematch, an instant rematch. Um, she's decided not to retire, and that one will be taking place in the early part of 2021. And I'm going to come to you for this one, Eddie. Uh, Matchroom have announced their kind of autumn schedule. There's a few fight nights to mention, but I'm going to come to you straight away with this one. Saturday, November 21st, um, I believe that is almost... I think that's... Um, I think it was August 22nd, the first fight. So this is one day away from being exactly three months later. We get to see the big heavyweight rematch again on Sky Sports box office, Pavetkin White 2. Um, it's very soon after the first one, Eddie. Like I say, just about three months almost to the day. Um, how do you, let's be brief on it, how do you see that one unfolding? And it's a very quick turnaround. A lot of people not too pleased, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm one of those who would say, you know, and just take a little more time, really feel it out and just see if you want to go at it that, you know, just go back at it like that. But um, to be honest, I mean, if if the fight takes the same shape of what it was in the, uh, the, the, the first time they went, I mean, I really don't see it being any different. You know what I mean? I, I, I there's really it, it's going to he's going to put himself into harm's way a few times. That's just the way Dillian is. You know, what I mean, his, his boxing style is that way. He's going. He's going to try to box. He's going to try to do the right thing and keep him away and 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 be strong and and be Dillian and all. But the problem is, every once in a while, he gets a little excited, kind of like you seen with Anthony Joshua, you know, when he fought him. And of course, he's better than he was then. But as you can see, he still makes mistakes. And Pavekin is a real a real vet. He's been around the block a few times, so we he knows what to do and 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 can catch you slipping. Even caught me slipping a few times. Didn't really hurt me like I. Like you heard Dillian, obviously, but but the shots were realized. So uh, it might be a little soon, and I just hope for Dillian White's sake, this is not an emotional like re like a, like a rebound girlfriend type thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I gotta go, I gotta jump right back out there. No, this is not the time to do that. There's too much at stake. Don't mess around, mess up your career based on you know uh, an emotional decision. You understand what I'm saying? Like 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 it's boxing. Things happen. Just make sure you write that wrong when you get the opportunity, you know, the opportunity to do that. Don't rush into it. Wait till you are mentally right for it. It's not even always about just the physical part, but mentally right as well. So don't get in there because, you know, what will happen is he'll get in there and the emotions will get, you know, take over and they'll go in and they'll try to get him out of there early and end up running into something. And that's not what I want. That's not what I want to see happen to him. You know what I mean? But as it stands, I'm about to, about to end it here. As it stands, if he's if he gets in there with the same mentality and, and the same game plan, which I don't really think he's going to change too much, then this could very well happen again. But I will pick Dillian in a decision. I'm going to pick him in a decision again. I know this is like, why would you do that? But I'm going to pick him in a decision again. I think he can control the fight. I think he can win the fight boxing. But just don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, but wise words. Um, yeah. One quote that he did put out, Dillian, is that 
he actually said, and I'm going to repeat it word for word, there won't be any major adjustments, but I just need to be more switched on and not get distracted. He was able to use his experience against me. I will be a lot more focused and sharper in the rematch. I'm coming to win and knock him out. I'm coming to even the score, and the only way to do that is by knocking him out. So um, it should be interesting. Go on. He needs to stop thinking about knocking him out and think about winning. Yeah. That's the problem with these guys, man. Some of these guys today, man, they, they're, they're thinking about the highlight before they're thinking about getting in the win, the, the, the W column. Just go ahead and get in that W column. Don't worry about how you do it. If you beat him, you beat him. Actually, it's better if you beat him in a distance fight sometime than by knocking him out because anybody can say, oh, well, you caught him. You know what I'm saying? That's what they're saying about Pavekin in a lot of ways. So, you know, just beat him and do it convincingly. That's all you should be concerned about. Yeah, I agree. Um, no undercard fights, as far as I'm aware of, have been announced just yet for that undercard there. But uh, moving on to the to the great schedule that Matram have put out, um, we're going to get to see a card that takes place on Sunday, October 4th, between uh, Josh Buatzi and a guy called... Um, oh, the guy's name has just evaded me. Marco Kalik. He's 11-0. He, uh, I think he was quite a decent amateur. I think he boxed in the World Series of Boxing. Um, so, you know, that that could be quite interesting. There's some good fights on the undercard. We get to see um, Chantel Cameron fight for the WBC World Super Lightweight title against the, uh, the champion. I believe it's the champion. I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's vacant, that belt there. Um... Uh, Adriana Dos Santos Arreo. She is six and zero. It is actually for the vacant title, so uh, that's that's great there because that's her first fight with Matram Chantel Cameron, and it's straight away for a world title. We also get to see Alan Babich take on um, take on Niall Kennedy in a heavyweight clash there, and also on the card a brilliant fight that I really like: Linus Eudofia against John Harding Jr. for the English middleweight title. Uh, we also get to see a couple of other good fights on that one. And Saturday, October 17th, we get to see it's finally been rescheduled. Lewis Ritson, he's taken on Miguel Vasquez, the very, very tough Miguel Vasquez. A lot of people picking him for the upset, actually. That's a that's that's one that I might be quite interested in. And also a brilliant fight between um, Peter Fury's um, female charge, Savannah Marshall. She takes on former... Uh, world title challenger Hannah Rankin, who has been in there, of course, with Clarissa Shields. So I'm sure that Savannah Marshall will try and uh, make a statement with Hannah Rankin, because, of course, um, you know, Savannah Marshall, who's trained by Peter Fury, like I say, she's the only girl ever to have beaten Clarissa Shields. So there's a lot of history there. That one is for the WBO middleweight world title, the female middleweight world title. Uh, the undercard will also feature. Uh, Cash Farouk, um, you've got Joe Laws on there, you've got Kez Ashfak on there, and you've got um, Thomas Patrick Ward. And then the other the other one, I'm doing this kind of in, in backwards, uh, in, in jumbo mumbo. Uh, uh, I'm not doing this in 
chronological order is, is, is what I should be saying. Saturday, the 26th of September. Again, these are all on Sky Sports and The Zone. We get to see Maris Breedis against Uniel Dortikos for the Cruiserweight final, the uh, the World Boxing Super Series. So that's going to be real interesting there. So that's some brilliant, brilliant fights um, that we're going to get to see on the Sky Sports schedule. And also, uh, we mentioned it before, the uh, the O'Hara Davies versus Tyrone McKenna super lightweight, um, super lightweight golden contract finals and the, uh, the Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh featherweight golden contract finals will all be taking place in Wakefield at the Production Park Studios on September 30th. So that's a little bit more solidification for that for that night there. Um, Moving on to the preview part of the show, and I'm going to go through this as quick as possible. We're going to start here with a card that takes place this Saturday um, at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. Let's start straight away with the top of the bill. I think that's that's making the most sense to me. Erickson Lubin, former world title challenger, of course, has that one loss to Jamel Charlo. He takes on Terrell Goulchet, I really like this fight because it's a crossroads fight. Goulchet, obviously, another guy that has just one loss in a world title fight to Erislandi Lara. Um, I really, really like that fight. Both men trying to get a foothold in the division once again. Um, also on the undercard, we get to see Tugstot Niambiar. Very hard name to pronounce, but his record's 11-1. and one. Um, He's coming off that loss to Gary Russell Jr., and he's a good fighter. We, we, we've seen that in, in his loss to Gary Russell Jr. He takes on Cobia Breedy, who's 15-0, and 0, a guy with, um, with uh, I think, quite a few amateur fights, if I'm not mistaken. That's just, you know, a decent undercard fight, if you like. And also, the man from... He's from Philly, I believe, um... Eddie, isn't he? Jerome Ennis is from Philly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's on, he's on the undercard as well, and he's in a fight against Juan Carlos Abreu, whose name I've definitely seen before. I'm just going to look to see where I'm seeing it from. He's he's 23 and five with one draw, never been stopped, but he's got 21 KOs in those 23 wins. Um, Dominican fighter. He's his losses have come to Igis Kavalowskis, who we mentioned earlier, Alexander Besputin, Alex Martin, Jamal James, and Humberto Soto back in 2014. Like I say, all those losses on points. Um, so that's a decent fight there, a decent test for Jerome Ennis, but he should get through it. Uh, moving on now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Again, this one takes place on Saturday night. Um, over here, we get to see Jose Pedraza topping the bill. One of my, uh, I'd say he's one of the one of the most skillful fighters in his division. He's in against Javier Molina, who's twenty two and two. Um, that's over ten rounds there. Of course, Pedraza twenty seven and three again, trying to get a big fight. You know, he's coming off a win against Mikel Lespier, which was in the bubble. Um, I remember watching that fight. It was a good fight. He's um, he's a good fighter. I really like Pedraza. Also on the undercard, Effie Jagba, 13-0 with 11 KOs. He's in a bit of a step up against Jonathan Rice, who's 13-5 with a draw, coming off a loss to Dempsey McKean. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to uh, prove to be too difficult for Effie Jagba. And moving out to a bit of a wild card fight that's taking place in Ukraine. 
Um, actually, I didn't even see this one. This is on the undercard. So this is taking place in Ukraine at the Bartolomeo Best River Resort. These are my kind of venues. Um, we're getting a guy over here called Ali Aaron Demerizium. And the reason I'm talking about this guy is because he, I think, may have had a couple fights against Effie Jagba in the amateurs, I believe. He was a real good amateur, Demerizium. And they actually had a fight in the pros, and Effie Jagba won the fight on points. Um, but he's a good fighter nonetheless, Demerizian, a German fighter, sorry, a Turkish fighter based in Germany. And he takes on the very, very tough heavyweight journeyman, Kamil Sokolowski. He is known for, um, you know, for turning up, ready to fight, ready to win, and he has upset a, a few guys. So that that's never going to be easy against Kamil Sokolowski. But the main event, it's a guy that I actually forgot existed for a while. Do you remember, Eddie, um, Andre Rudenko? Yeah, I do. Yeah, obviously he. Um, I do remember that name. Yeah, he he lost to um he lost to Huey Fury. Huey Fury beat him. Um, you know, really, it was a good win. I think it was over in Monaco, and the fight before that, he he lost a controversial unanimous oh, decision yeah. to Lucas Brown in the yeah, UK. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually thought he beat Lucas Brown. Oh. By the way. Um, so yeah, he's not a bad fighter. He, he, you know, in my eyes, he beat Lucas Brown. He lost to Huey Fury. He went away. He got a few mm -hmm. wins. One of the wins, he actually stopped a guy called Marcelo Nascimento. Eddie, I don't want to bring his name up again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, in recent Mental. yeah, Nascimento. But in recent times, he's he's actually lost three of his last four. But again, he's never been stopped. You know, he's he he lost to Povetkin on points in 2017. Um, Povetkin looked terrible that night. He lost to Ajit Kabayel for the European heavyweight title in 2019. And then he's coming off a loss in November of last year against Zili Zhang, uh, the, the Chinese six foot six southpaw. So, um, yeah, he's, he's fighting a guy actually who's seven and seven with a draw. So I'm not quite sure why I brought it up, but Rodenko, I want to see him in some, in some fights, testing some of the sort of young up and coming Brits. Um, I'd like to see him even in the States, him against the likes of Effie Jagba. That's a fight I like, or I don't know. I just want to see him again. He's not that bad, Rodenko, to be honest. But anyway, that's that's enough. I'm going to fan down the love, the, the the weird love I've got there for Rodenko. He's, 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 not, he's not the best fighter in the world, but yeah, I'd like to see him test a few prospects on the come up. But anyway, that's it for the preview part of the show. We did part one. We've brought you the sole guest. Uh, I've just done the news part and the preview part just there, just before we wrap up the show. And it's going to be interesting. Of course it will. Uh, we're going to go pretty in-depth, pretty in-depth. Um, it's now time for Eddie Chambers' very own segment, The Lockdown Knockdown. We're at the point now where we're talking about the Alexander Dimitrenko fight. This one was the very fight before uh, before the Vladimir Klitschko fight, of course. Um, Eddie, let's uh, let's get into it. Where will we begin here? Alexander Dimitrenko, brilliant win at the time. Where are we going to start from? Well, uh, probably go right right after the uh, fight with Samuel Peter, because once again I've gotten to one of my girl modes when it comes to body, because mm -hmm. <laughs> I uh, obviously when you fight. This is obvious for, for most fighters. You try to rewatch it to see what you've done and, you know, what things you need to correct. And just in general, you know, you want to kind of see what happened. And once again, my body came up in my mind first more than anything, even though the skill 
of the fight looked good and everything was good. And I also realized too, that I didn't have the proper amount of time. We talked about how, how we got to camp uh, kind of late because I found out about the fight on, you know, watching fight Friday night fights. But, um, and I just saw that. And once again, man, I wanted to hit the ground running, you know what I mean? And it was just so, so much. And there's, I know maybe it's a little bit too much focus on your body and what it looks like, because honestly, I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all because it does. I mean, when people watch fights on TV, they want to see guys that look in shape. They want to see like a guy that looks like, man, I don't even know if I can, if I worked real hard, if I could even get to that point, you know what I mean? You want it to be sort of untouchable. You want them to look like athletes and that's, and that was always my big thing. I always wanted that. So, you know, when I, when I watched it, once again, very similar to the Ross purity situation, I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. All that work I put in, all that extra running I did, all those extra weights I lifted and all that stuff, the sparring, and I still looked like I might have sat on the couch for half the, half the camp. And that's just not what I really wanted to see. At least that's how I felt. So immediately after, I didn't – but this time armed with the knowledge of how I overtrained the previous time I, and I thought like this, I understood that I got to listen to my body and not overdo it. So when I got into camp, or at least when we got back, I wasn't even in the camp yet because we weren't sure about the fight just yet um, and when it was going to be. But I did. I, I got back into the gym. I started running. I mean, literally, maybe I, we got in. If that fight was on, I think it was on Friday, and we got into, we got home like on Monday of the next week or so, I was probably working out by Tuesday. You know what I mean? Running on a treadmill, doing different drills, playing a lot of basketball, obviously. In the, and those uh, few weeks before I, you know, before we found out about the fight and just really working myself into a good place before camp was to start. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm doing that and I'm in the process of that. And we're, you know, we're having conversations about what's going to happen. And I'm still thinking at this point that, hey, maybe that fight was enough to get me a title shot, get me right back into the, you know, the uh, conversation. I'm figuring like, look, I fought Samuel Peter, one right fight removed from heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, I think I deserve an opportunity at champion at, at the world championship. I mean, the last time I fought a guy of that magnitude was Alexander Povetkin and I lost. And I understood that the next step would be, you know, maybe take a few steps back, take a step forward, but I ended up getting an opportunity to fight Sam Peter. So I figured that was enough. But of course, not for a guy like me. And I think I might have said this previously, but in boxing, in the boxing world, I'm not a very well-liked person. I'm not saying I'm not a well-liked person personality-wise. I'm saying I'm not a well-liked person through my boxing style and the way I fight. So people, when they, you know, want to be entertained and through watching a guy fight, they don't think or envision a guy like myself who, first of all, most of the time doesn't quote-unquote, look the part, you know what I mean? I'm not a body beautiful, so to speak, but, and a lot of that is my fault, you know, at the time, I, you know, my diet wasn't what it needed to be, uh, but anyway, um, I'm not a body beautiful, so they don't, they don't like that part, but then I'm not like a guy like Ariola who goes in, and he's not a body beautiful, but he's all blood and guts, and he wants to just get in there and swing punches and do, you know, rock and sock and robots for the most part, to, I mean, there's definitely skill involved with his, but I'm just saying it's a lot less than mine. And there's not a real focus on that. And most people love to watch those kinds of fighters throwing punches constantly, taking punches constantly. That's just not the way I roll. So when I say I'm not a well-liked person, that's what I mean. So when you get an opportunity to which maybe you think, hey, I did enough to get a title shot. 
well, not not so much. Not the the fans are not going to want to see it. They're not going to be interested in a guy like me, especially when. And I think I told you we talked about this before. When I was uh, I was actually at home during the time I was preparing for uh, Dimitrenko. I didn't I, I didn't actually go away to camp yet, and um, there was a fight on, and they brought a, uh, a they brought a screen up that uh, you know was talking about maybe a. I think it's the best American and well, actually the best young heavyweights that are out there right now at that time, which was like, I think 2009 and it had Alexander Povetkin. It had, I think Alexander Dimitrenko, Malik Scott, Ariola, and I think uh, maybe one other guy other than myself. And they were talking about the other guys. I, I don't even know if they had Malik. I'm not even hundred percent sure, but they were talking about the other guys and, Mentioning, you know, and them in high regard and they're good, they're this, they're that. You just keep your eye out for them, so to speak. And they got to me and literally said, he's 35 and one, but fights with an unexciting style. Word for word, that's exactly what was said by Jim Lampley. So once again, like I said, <laughs> they don't like me. And me and my guy, Tony Thompson, is another friend of mine that, you know, we, we, we fought, both of us fought Vladimir, he fought him twice. And uh, we share that same that same understanding is they really don't enjoy us. They really don't like us. First of all, I'm not a big guy. I'm not a six foot five or six foot six guy who really can challenge a guy like a Vladimir to in their mind. And I just don't have enough size, nor do I have the punching power. And I'm not an exciting guy. I got too much skill and not enough not enough go. You understand what I'm saying? So it just it it really makes them tough to want to watch me. So what I have to do is I have to force my hand. So what they do, instead of saying, okay, well, you beat Samuel Peter, a guy who had just lost the title to a, a Klitschko brother, you were one of the only guys in the world to beat him other than a Klitschko. But I don't think that's enough. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you in with Alexander Dimitrenko and make that an eliminator and say, okay, you have to beat a six foot eight, 250-pound boxer that really resembles a Klitschko before you actually get an opportunity to fight him himself, which was actually a good thing for me. Thank God, because they gave me an opportunity to prepare, but it obviously wasn't enough. But anyway, um, so, you know, with that, all that being said, I'm thinking I'm going to get the shot. And then they say, they hit me with this. But at this point, I don't care. I'm going to have to fight them anyway. I'm going to have to, you know, do what they, they tell me at this point. I, you know, if they say jump, I got to say how high right now because I need to make, you know, make my myself a real live dog out here. So that they like, oh, OK. Yeah, we really got to we got to really pay attention to this guy because he can actually win. So, with that being said, we get prepared. We're in the camp. Um, I'm I'm feeling great in camp, by the way, uh, as as it got going. I mean, right from the beginning, because of the preparation I had from seeing myself and being all out of shape, not necessarily out of shape, but looking that way in the same in the uh, Samuel Peter fight, starting to get myself ready early was such a great idea and a great thing for me, and doing it the right way not overdoing it this time because it gave me a, a chance to just prepare and fine tune things as opposed to trying to lose weight or trying to get in shape during the camp process. Eddie, so it was all about, let me just, working. sorry, I, I hate to interrupt, but you brought up Tony Thompson. It just reminded me of, um, yeah. it reminded me of something. And this happened, this is over six years ago. It's about six and a half years ago. I'm looking at a tweet here. Um, Tony Thompson, I can't remember what happened. I know that he'd obviously beaten David Price, you know, in those huge upsets back-to-back. -back. And um, 
he I think he said, Oh, I'm looking for a new nickname or something like that. Tony the Tony the Tiger obviously was the name he was going with. And I said um, you know, you've been putting an end to a few prospects in their backyards because it wasn't just David Price. I think he'd upset. Um, who did he upset? Didn't he upset the? Um, oh man, didn't he upset? Um, what was that Cuban's name again? Oh, Solis, um, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. did I, I think he, he was a guy that took his o, I believe. Um, anyway, he upset a few prospects that were sort of undefeated, I believe, around about that time. And I said you should go with, and it's not, it's not, it wasn't that creative at all. But I said, uh, you know, you should go with Tony the Plan Wrecker Thompson. And he said the Plan Wrecker, like the he's wrecking the plans, right? Oh, plan Wrecker. Oh yeah, so yeah, said, yeah, the Plan Wrecker. Go ahead. Yeah. So he said to me, he goes, the Plan Wrecker. Hmm. I think I like it, fool. <laughs> I shall steal this from you. The tiger has spoken, right? So then I said, yeah, oh, yeah. I said, make sure you use it, fool. And then he said, I will on TV, but I won't give you props for it. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I said, why not? And then he said, okay, okay, I will give you props, but only you and me will know it. The tiger has spoken. <laughs> But I don't think he ever did yeah, use it, but it was funny anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. Go on. Would have been nice. that is, but no, but that's but that's the kind of person he is. He is that kind of dude. He's one of the funniest dudes I know, especially in boxing. <laughs> but anyway, him him and Malik Malik's another one, and, and of course my brother Steve. But anyway, um, oh yeah, but uh, what was I saying? I can't, you know, I got a boxer's brain, so let's so let's refresh. No, that's all right. I got a boxer's brain. It's okay. So do I. You know, you know that. Happens. I've just never took any punches. Well, thank goodness for you because maybe yours just has to do with age. <laughs> <laughs> no, Thanks. No, 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 no. That's not that bad. But anyway, no. I, I think I was talking about when how, how how I felt in camp, and I felt pretty good getting into camp. And I think it was because obviously I had done the preparation and and not overdoing it, but um, but just making sure I was in some sort of shape so I can only so I didn't have to really worry about. Uh, you know, getting in shape in camp. And a lot of guys make the mistake of having to do that. And you work half the time on just that and not enough of the time on who you're facing. And I think that was one of the best things. And I think all fighters, you know, when they're thinking of, of uh, you know, getting into a big fight or having a big fight, and they, they really need to focus on maybe some pre-camp training. I know that sounds crazy, but pre-camp training to really prepare yourself for conditioning, strictly conditioning, like we've been boxing all our lives. So we can get in the ring out of shape and still go rounds. But if you give yourself some sort of a basis to train from, to prepare and a fight from, like say you come into the gym, you're already in shape. You're already in physical shape. Now it's just time to get in the mental aspect down to who you're fighting and plan properly. That gives you a big leg up. And I feel like that's what I had in that fight. So, when the sparring partners started coming, I mean, I had already been sparring a little, but not too much, you know what I mean? You know, dabbling into it with some of the guys around the way. But when I got into the sparring in the camp, and you know, we're paying these guys, so they, and my, 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 my manager and my, my manager trainer was telling me, look, man, we're paying these guys. You do what the hell you got to do. You finish. If you can finish, I'm finishing. Whatever you need to do. And I know that sounds bad. But when you're getting paid, I mean, you're getting paid. You know what I'm saying? And these guys know what they're getting into. So, you know, they understood. And I had a couple of, you know, I had some, I had some decent sparring, but a lot, honestly, a lot of it was for confidence. 
and to kind of mimic who I was facing. So I had tall guys that had boxing skills and were good boxers. One of them by the name of Marcellus Brown. And was uh, he's a he's actually a really experienced, really, really tall, like almost six, almost seven feet tall, like six, six ten or something, uh, a little bit, maybe even a little taller than Tyson. And um, he's uh, and he had boxing skills, you know, pretty good boxing skills. But the way I was and how sharp I was in camp, man, it, it just almost didn't matter. Also, I think I had another guy uh, by the name of Kevin Burnett that was in camp with us too, and he he actually started doing better as the camp got you know was going along. He was a little overweight, and out of shape early on, but he got a little better. But once again, like I said, it didn't matter. I was just so sharp. I mean, the punches I was throwing were were, were hurt. These were punches I was hurting the guys with. You know, I was making they they were they were trust me. When they came to spar, it wasn't a situation where I can't wait to spar. No, it was like oh man. I got to spar with this guy today. And normally, you know, my my temperament, I'm not one of those guys who want to want to hurt anybody. But it was just I was so sharp and so focused on what I had going that I was really, really, really prepared to to do work. So whenever we got in the ring, I wasn't thinking I wasn't necessarily seeing them. I was seeing Alexander Trinko. So it was like I'm ready to work. So we put in, like I said, rounds. I mean, there were times I think I think we were doing 12 to 15 round 15 round days. I think I was. I think we were sparring only three times a week, though. But I would do twelve rounds, fifteen rounds, ten rounds, and then next week do the same thing. I mean, we didn't we didn't take the sparring down until maybe like a week or so before we left. You know what I mean? To where maybe I only did a few rounds here and a few rounds there, but we were working really hard. I mean, I was doing uphill sprints. Uh, I was lifting constantly with my guy Hassan Watler, and and I mean we were I was in tremendous condition. I probably I was probably one of the fights that I was probably one I was probably either in the best shape of my life or at least close. You know what I mean? I mean I think I think when I fought Vladimir, which we'll talk about later, that I probably was in a little bit better shape because it was obviously more more of a uh, uh, we had a better thought process behind what we were doing. I mean I was just basically just going at it with this. But anyway, so like I said, I'm doing great in camp, feeling good. And um, once again, we, you know, we're looking at this uh, Dimitrenko thing. And most people are obviously looking at this like, man, this guy doesn't have a shot. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little guy and I lost to Povetkin and he's not even that tall. And, you know, just thinking of they're thinking all size, not enough about the skill. And um, I also hear this, too, which was kind of like a little, you know, a little, little weird to me a little, but. I understand the reasoning, and one of my team members, you know what I mean, one of the main guys, had went to one of the sworn partners who we had actually got really cool with, which was, his name was uh, Marcellus, and, you know, was kind of voicing his uh, his worry, in a sense. It's like, I, oh, man, I don't know, man. I mean, he's looking good. He, he's performing well, but what do you think? Like, basically asking him, do I, does he think that I'm going to have a shot at winning this fight? And I guess... He just probably wanted to hear what his thought process was behind it because he's getting in there with me. But the reality of it is you should be super confident in your guy and with the work you guys are putting in. But I can't say, you know, what's in somebody else's head and the worry if it's, if it's not valid. So, But in my mind, I felt like I was doing great. And in my mind, I felt like the fight was just a foregone conclusion that I was going to destroy this guy, regardless of how big he was. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still nervous. I'm still worried about the fight and what's going to happen and this, that, and the other. But at the same time, I felt really confident, especially because I knew I was going to be look the part, feel the part, and, and hopefully be able to perform the part. So 
after all that's said and done and you know we get in you know, we get on the plane we're over into the uh over into germany this time this time we didn't go as early we didn't want to go because last time i think we went nine or ten days in advance which was a little unnecessary and you know the first time i went was with Povekin, and obviously i didn't have enough time to train properly anyway let alone going to the to to the place 10 days in advance but this time i think we went about a little little about a week or a little less than a week um, in advance to, to kind of get acclimated to the time, you know, and give you a little bit, but not too much. And, uh, also to get in the gym a little bit and shake out and see how you felt. And right away when we got there, I mean, people in the hotel that we went to were really, really nice people. Um, Universum, the, 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 uh, the, uh, organization that, that had, uh, Dimitrenko was, they were really nice. They were really, really accommodating. The same as, uh, Sourland. Sourland was good as well. I mean, I'm not saying they weren't. It was just the feel was a little more comfortable. I think it was because of how I felt in general, just about, you know, feeling more in control of what's going on as opposed to the first time. Um, but uh, it, it, like I said, and then, then we had a press conference. And the press conference, I go, and, you know, I'm, I'm, at this time, I, would, I didn't wear like, you know, special clothing or whatever, or like a suit or anything to the press conference. I wore a sweatsuit. You know, just to, you know, feel comfortable and to be relaxed. I mean, it was just a press conference, right? At least at the time, that's how we thought. And uh, and with a sweatsuit on, I mean, I'm not, my sweatsuits aren't overly big, but this one, it was, it was kind of fitting a little bit, not, not too close, but fitting enough. Like, and it just, and I, I could just tell by the way these people were looking at me that they were like, wow, this guy is small. Like this guy, I don't know what they're thinking is going to happen in this fight, but this guy just he just can't be he can't be the guy that they're talking about you know what i mean he can't be dangerous so you know even with alexander the betrayal when i actually met him and shook his hand he looked at me like with this crazy look in his eyes like i just can't believe that this is the guy like they're just they might as well just mail me the belt or mail me <laughs> the the invitation to fight vladimir because there's no way this guy's beating me and that's generally what you know, most people thought when they seen me, if they had no prior, uh, history with, you know what I mean? No sparring or nothing like that. So he had nothing. He didn't know anything. All he knows is that this is a little guy here. And, uh, that kind of echoed again at the open workout where, uh, there was an older guy that's watching us. And, you know, I, I go in and I, you know, I do my jump rope thing and my shuttle boxing and all, and try to put on somewhat of a show for the fans and everything and give them something that they feel like they've never seen you try. But, um, I remember this, this older guy, this older German guy came over and was pointing at me and was like, talking. my brother was standing here and he was actually talking to him and saying him, no chance. He has no chance. Alex, you see Alexander, he's going to kill him. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm laughing. I mean, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not make this guy feel, you know, I mean, I, he, even though he made me feel like I was, a, you know, a bum, but I, you know, I didn't really care. It wasn't really bothering me. I'm just here to enjoy myself and hopefully grab this fight before I go back home and get some money, you know. But um, my brother has to, he's got to always come and save me, you know, in a sense with, uh, with, <laughs> with uh, you know, his banter or whatever. So he goes and he's like, you know what? talking all that crap now i want to see you on that day after he after he beats his behind he's like yo he's like i don't want to hear nothing when he's on the floor or he's or he's beat up in the corner and and i don't want to hear none of y'all got to say not a thing 
So the old man's there going back and forth a little bit. Not not crazy. It was more of like a friendly kind of thing going back and forth. But the reality of it was he knew something, obviously, that the old guy didn't know. <laughs> the old guy. And I knew something that the old guy didn't know. And they've never really seen me before. And a lot of times when uh, uh, you look at a guy like myself and you look at Alexander Dimitrenko, you say, there's no way. So that had just it was just another reason when he that was just another person to see that be you know confused by that and let the and let the size confuse you so anyway after after we go through all that the way in and everything we finally get to the night of the fight now this is where all the nerves and all that crap starts and it's just like oh you know i, I I'm, I'm i'm confident and i'm feeling good but in the dressing room is like it's like the, it's like almost waiting for the electric chair sometime. Even though you're going out to perform and you got a chance to, you know, to fight your way out of everything. It's just, it's just, it's still a real. It's like, like I said, like the, like it's almost like going to execute or get be executed. It's just, it's like it's just like a weird feeling. You know what I mean? Not everybody has that nervous feeling like I do, but believe me, I when it happened. I mean, there's been very few times that I've been out there and have not been nervous. And trust me, I was definitely nervous for this one, but. At the same time, I knew that I put the work in and I knew that everything had fell into place. I didn't have any injuries. The supplementation was perfect. You know, diet was great. Well, at least I felt perfect. Um, everything was good. Training, no injuries, no problems. So I'm figuring everything, at least at, at the very least, I'm going to go out here and give it what I have. If he beats me, he beats me. And as I get closer to going out and, and oh, by the way, the dressing room we had was like, I don't know, it was like a coat closet. It was like they, not only was it, not only the dressing room, but even on the poster, this is really what they tell you when they think of what they think of you. They didn't even have my face on the poster. Like, I, I didn't have my face on the poster. I didn't have a, a real dressing room. They did want to kind of give me a, a, a separate place, you know what I mean? Away from him and away from all the other fighters, I guess, to make me sort of feel like I'm, you know, special, but the reality of it is, is it was just a little coat, is a little coat room. I mean, it was a pretty decent sized coat room, but it was, it, they just really didn't feel or think much of me, obviously. So, so we're getting ready to go out, and like I said, the closer that you're obviously going out, the closer you get to the ring, the more confidence. Just like Mike said, I always refer to that because I always felt that, and I felt so good at. At some points on the, you know, like at some point I, I, just, I was smiling almost the whole walk. So uh, I'm getting in the ring. They're announcing the names. And of course, everybody's, you know, you know, it's either I think they were screaming out Sasha because that was just his name, too. I don't, they, they love that name out there, by the way. And they kept saying it and they kept saying it. And, you know, I'm always trying to be a little antagonistic to some of those things. So I'm kind of pumping them up to do the same thing, kind of like I did when I fought Derek Rossi. Uh, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Keep pumping his name up. Because when I get, when I, when I, when this fight's over, y'all going to be screaming mine. In my mind, I'm not thinking that exactly. But I am thinking I'm, I'm about to whip this boy's ass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we get out. And like I said, there's still nerves. But as soon as the first punch is thrown, and as soon as I, you know, I'm, I move around a little bit, he throws a couple of shots and I realized that he's really going to struggle hitting me. Like he may not even touch me this whole fight if I don't want him to. And then confidence start to build even more. And I remember there's one part where he threw, I think a right hand 
it was a little too close for him to throw it at that time, and he got kind of like leaned on top of him, kind of like what Vladimir did. And um, I picked him up, like on my shoulder without grabbing him, just like picked him up on my shoulder. And he's like, whoa. And then I put him down, and the ref kind of warned you a little bit or whatever. And his the look on his face was just like to me, because he looked at me like I was from bars or something. Like, what the hell is that? And, you know, because I'm a little guy, I'm not supposed to be able to pick him up like that easy. You know what I'm saying? I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be the weaker one. I'm the smaller one. I'm not supposed to be able to push him back. I'm not supposed to be doing any of those, any of those things, right? <laughs> but I did. And then he can't hit. And then as the fight starts to move forward, I'm starting to land shots, not only from close range, but from the outside. So now it's my footwork is getting close. I'm able to get close to him and get away from him. And then I'm able to dip shots in return and return, and I'm able to counter him. So at this point, it's like he's being outclassed. And he's actually being, you know, bullied as well at times. And as the fight went on, he started to get bullied more and more. And then I started to realize, too, that when he started throwing shots, even when he hit my arms and my, glo- and, and my gloves and things, like the, like the power didn't bother me. Like there was nothing about his shots that made – I didn't feel anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like I felt almost somewhat invincible to him. Like he, like he just couldn't really do anything to really bother me. Like, if you would have hit me with a clean shot, I felt like I would have been walk right, white, we'll just walk right through it. You understand what I'm saying? So, and as the fight went on, I remember at one point, he, I think I threw a combination at him and his arm got caught in a rope because he was trying to throw a counter hook, which this is where watching video kind of helps a little bit too because I watched his video. Like, he actually watched, yeah, I actually watched him fight um, Luan Krasniki and he stopped Luan Krasniki with a counter hook to the body. And I knew he loved that shot. So whenever he, whenever I leaned in or sat a little bit too long, he was looking for that shot. So I completely eliminated him. Anytime he was ready to throw that counter hook, I was sitting on it. I knew it was coming. I would either take a little step, you know, rock back, make him throw it and he'll come up short. Or I would um, maybe block it or, or smother him a little bit, whatever to do to nullify that. Because that was a big weapon of his, you know. And I remember going back to his body. And a couple of times he made it like, and I know there's a couple people that actually on my team, on my side, that was saying, yo, it did look like those shots were a little low. But no, they were on his belt line. And his damn trunks were up high, too. So I think they might have been covering his belly button as well. And he was trying to play it off. Like, I remember when, he, when I hit him with that first body shot, he was trying to play it off. Like, oh, man, he hit me low. Trying to get, like, a point deducted or, or, or at least trying to get extra time. Or I don't know what he was really was really what he was trying to do. And um, and I think he might have actually just been hurt, and he was trying to get the time with that. And it happened once in one round, and I think it happened again the next round. And, and one time I think I hit him in the like on around the side, like they say the the liver not the liver shot, the got the kidney shot. And then he kind of like you know grabbed it like oh like he hit me in a, with an illegal shot. And I said at this point because the other time he did it, I let him get away with it. This time I was going to go hit him. And the ref stepped in and said, oh, no, I'm going to give him a count because he was trying to play it up. And the ref said, oh, I'm not having it. And he counted it because he's just trying to get a break. You know what I mean? Trying to make it like it was a foul. And then it happened again. I don't know if it was that round, but I hit him a little like around the belt line. But it was it was a legal shot. And he was about to try to do it again. But I think the body shot really did hurt him. And he realized it and put his hands up because I was going to keep throwing shots. 
And I think that at that point, to me, was the beginning of the end. Of course, the fight went the distance, but it was the end of him actually trying to win, in my opinion. Because even though he kept like he kept trying or he kept throwing shots, his demeanor toward winning the fight had gone. I could feel it in his punches. I could feel it in, in the way he moved. He was just, at this point, trying to make it to 12 rounds because he just knew he wasn't going to win. I've seen it before with guys in there with me, and they look at you, you look so small. You don't look like you, you know, you look like a little a little kid. Like, there's no way, there's no chance. And then all of a sudden, now you're getting your butt kicked by this by this little kid, and it's like, well, what do I do? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What do I, how do I do this? And he gave up. And I just really think, I mean, he didn't actually give up physically. Like, he just quit on the stool. But his, his attitude toward winning had, had gone. So we go through this through a couple of more rounds, and I remember hitting him with a real solid combination at the end of the round when I realized this is my this fight is mine. I remember doing the big uh, war cry thing and um, just being excited, like feeling like, yeah, I got this. This is mine. And then going into the tenth round, dropping him with that that uh, that uh, left hook when he was when he pulled straight out, and dropping him, and just feeling like that was I felt like that was the end. I thought I was going to stop him there, but you know, credit to him, he got up, showed heart, stayed in the fight. You know, he took it. He actually came back and tried to you know throw some shots to keep me off him. He had to obviously, but the fight just was going down from there. And then the eleventh, I watched. I just watched this not too long ago, by the way. And in the 11th, it was more of the same. And actually, it might have been even a little worse than the 10th, you know, with the exception of the knockdown. It was just like I, he took a he took a good beat. But in the 12th is when I really thought I was going to stop because I hit him with a I hit him with a one, two, three shot, which is the jab, the right hand, the left hook. And I felt like I think all three punches landed clean. But the hook really had his head go up in the air like he was really hurt from that. And then he tried to grab me. And I got, you know, out from under his grab, his grass and, and, and start throwing like, you know, heavy shots. And I threw a few heavy shots, but at this point, my body started to feel the effects of it. So, I mean, I'm trying to like play it off like <laughs> I'm not I'm not tired, but I was a little bit not exhausted, but I was a little tired. Like it was I was having a I was having a hell of a time to uh, keep my hands up and not only keep my hands up, but to throw big shots on top of it. So. He ends up making it through. And, you know, I, I wanted to win the fight by knockout. Obviously, if I had him going like that, it would have been nice to get the knockout. But I was just as happy just to get the win because it was an opportunity. Obviously, the next fight would probably be with Vladimir. And that's where, you know, everything really is going to really my life really would change. But here's the decision that is supposed to come now. I don't think there's any chance that he wins, but. You know, there's that little doubt in your mind. Hey, we're in Germany. There's this, there's that. Even my trainer said it in the corner a couple of times. Hey, man, we're in Germany, man. You can't leave this thing up to chance. You got to put this guy away if you can. And um, our worries were almost right away, like, realized. Because the first scorecard was 113, I think, 113. And they were saying it in German. And you could hear the crowd. And by the end of the fight, by the way, before the uh, final bell and all of that, and even at different times during the fight, they were screaming my name like a Rocky movie as opposed to Dimitrenko's name, you know? But, um, and at that time, when they announced the, the, um, the 113-113, you could hear the crowd booing. Like, oh my God, like, what's going on here? Like, oh, and then as soon as I heard that, I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, 
yeah, this is what they were talking about. <laughs> this is about to be my uh, my reality. And then the other two judges had given, I think one was 116, 112, and one was 117, 111. I think I could be wrong, but I think that was what the scorecards were. One and I'm still thinking 111, Fernando Laguna. Yeah. And Glenn Feldman had it wide, 117-109. Yeah, that's what it was. That was 116-111 that was because of the knockdown. Yeah. Well, the two knockdowns, now that, I, now that I think about it, because of the first body shot, or the one body shot. But anyway, so I heard that, and I'm sitting there thinking like, damn, did I, did I win? Because I'm like, yo, them scorecards are so wide, it, it just can't be that he won the fight. It just wouldn't make sense. You know, he got dropped twice and you know, how could he win? So I'm still kind of like worried, but I'm confident, but I'm worried. I'm not, I'm just not sure. And then they say my name and I'm like, Oh, the relief, the relief was unreal. Like I was like, yes. Oh yes. Now I'm finally, now the celebration can start. You know what I mean? And, and it was a great, great moment in my life probably one of the best feelings ever that I've had, you know, when it comes to my boxing career. But um, I was thinking it would pale probably in comparison to when I had the opportunity and, and obviously I would win the next fight. But it was an experience that I, shit, I'd still love to get and have another one of those uh, if, if possible. But um, it was, it was a great time and, and being on the road and a lot of people, you know, obviously being at home is nice. And you could, you know, you could party at home with people you know and everybody supporting you. But on the road, it's like you against the world. And then when you win and you're celebrating on their ground and it's just like it's another level to to, to the happiness. It's like, you know, you really, really have done it and you've done it where and how no one expected. And, and that was just like that was a great moment. Yeah, and like we say, it was a brilliant, brilliant win at the time. Dimitrenko was 29-0. and He went to Germany. Uh, you beat him, as you say, you know, on his home turf. No one ever... Um, no one ever actually beat him on points ever again. He was he was only ever stopped in his losses after that. You were you know you were the first man to go to Germany and do it. All of his other losses came when he was in the other guy's backyard. Aside from um, when he lost to Pulev, which was his next loss after losing to you. But yeah, he was coming off. He was in good form as well back at you know back then. Obviously, like we say, undefeated, coming off eight straight knockout wins, and. Um, like I say, I've said it before, that punch you landed on him, which is just a highlight reel shot where his gum shield flies out, is uh, is, is, is one of my favorite shots you ever landed. Um, no, a brilliant win, you know. You took his O, obviously, and it's just crazy how boxing is because, you know, he went on to, obviously, um, he never got the Vladimir fight in the end. He never got the Klitschko fight, but he went on to box Pulev. You know, he put together another string of wins. He lost to Joseph Parker. And then just when everyone thought he was done, he um, in 2017, he had a brilliant year, one of the best years of his career, which is just strange when you think, you know, that your fight with him was um, eight years prior to that. He, um, he, upset, he upset two... Um, prospects, two undefeated prospects in a row. He uh, he knocked out in just one round the Swedish 
um, undefeated prospect Adrian Granat, who was 14 and 0 with about 13 KOs. Uh, that was a big shock. He took him, it just just took him one round, and then after that, he beat a guy called Miljan Rovkenin, who had a record of 18 and 0. Um, he actually won by disqualification after. Um, after ten rounds, which was it was full up with controversy, but it is what it is. Two prospects in a row. He took both of their O's, and then of course he went on that losing streak to Bryant Jennings, Andy Ruiz Jr., which is um, it's, it's crazy because you know Ruiz beat him, and then I think it was five weeks later Ruiz was in the ring against Anthony Joshua, and he beat him. You know, so it's mad to think that Dimitrenko was was even you know kind of borderline involved in in the build up to that he was he was involved in the build up to that fight there right. when uh, Ruiz become the the only ever Mexican heavyweight champion so uh it's just bizarre to st- to see he's still knocking around and uh you know in biggish fights these days this 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 long after that um yeah ready that's that's it pretty much you've you've said everything there a brilliant thing obviously is that the shorts you wore for that fight are um, one of my prized possessions, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. At least it's, it's somebody's prized possession. I'm happy. Happy he could be a friend of mine. You know what I mean? Not somebody on there that got it for free. Not someone. Oh, but you got it. Free. Yeah, I got it for free. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Not someone. Not some random or on eBay. Yeah, they're, they're, don't worry. They're in. That's, they're in good hands. They're in good hands. They're in uh, my uh, my display cabinet. So. Uh, appreciate that Eddie. That's what but listen yeah. other than that i appreciate the 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 in-depth that you've gone here um about 40 odd minutes on this fight here against dimitrenko like we say one of the you know one of the biggest wins of your career and this leads us into the vladimir klitschko fight the big one um it's gonna i'm guessing it's gonna take quite a bit of time talking about that next time but um just to sign out, Eddie, if you've got any last remaining words to the listeners, thanks once again for doing this. Um, and obviously, I did say on last week's show, we we pretty much did most of this, and it all went wrong, the recordings and everything, so I appreciate you pretty much doing it again this uh, two weeks in a row. No, that's no problem, man. And, if, and for people, if you can learn from my mistakes, please do. You know, some of the things that I do, that I'm saying here, most of the things... All of the things I'm saying are, are factual, but most of the, you know, the advice that goes along with it is from a place of experience and uh, you don't have to listen to it. You know what I mean? But it would be, it would definitely be a good idea too, because a lot of the, a lot of the learning curves that I, a lot of the things that I would have loved to have had and people that I would have, you know, I had people around me who were, who were good and, 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 and wise and they helped me in, in aspects that, um, that they could but I wish I had somebody like me that actually had been through it. You know what I mean? Had really been through it to get just kind of tell me what I needed to do and where I sh- and which way I should go. Not only with just the boxing and inside the ring, but also uh, things outside the ring. That's, and that's actually as important, if not more in some ways, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But like I say, Eddie, thanks once again for, for, for giving us another another edition of your Lockdown Knockdown segment. Um, and yeah, that brings this episode pretty much to a close. It's been a real pleasure doing this once again with Eddie. We, we, we've had a, uh, a normal show, you know, on the front end, the review part, the preview part, the news, etc., the interview, the guest, and um, Eddie's wrapped it up there. So just before I sign out, uh, I just want to say the last thank you once again 
to Eddie for doing this, and um, I'm going to sign out with the ending and all the rest of it in just a couple of seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 257 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. I honestly don't know what I'd have done without him, actually, for all these pandemic episodes that we've brought you. Um, A big thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former British title challenger, Craig Richards. The biggest thanks of all, though, as always, goes out to you, the listeners. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it and it's been worthwhile. Uh, But that's about everything from myself short and sweet ending here enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week